Welcome back to On The Mark, a podcast series that explores the effect of various businesses and industries on the pandemic that uh, has affected all of us and how companies can survive and thrive during these difficult times and beyond. I am your host, Howard Mark Rubin, and this podcast series came about as a result of my realization that as a senior partner with the law firm of Getz Fitzpatrick, representing businesses for over 30 years as an advisor and corporate attorneys, that this pandemic has permanently changed the way business is being done. And my belief that it will change it not just during the pandemic, but long after. It has had such a diverse effect on industries and people who work in those industries that I believe it was important to address what's the reality, what's the fiction, and what the future holds. Sponsoring this series of podcasts is the Strategic Forum, which was founded in 1999 in New York City and expanded in 2004 to South Florida. It is an organization consisting of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business leaders who believe in forming deep business and personal relationships based on mutual respect, trust, and continual learning and intellectual enrichment. Current membership in the Strategic Forum represents a diverse group from public and private business organizations. And today we have a member of the Strategic Forum with us. His name is Jonathan Hochberg, and he's the senior partner of Regent Atlantic Capital. Uh, the topic we're going to be discussing today is wealth management and how wealth management's been affected by this, um, this pandemic. Uh, a little about Jonathan's background. Jonathan was the co-founder of Hillview Capital Advisors uh, before its merger with uh, Regent Atlantic. And he has, for over 25 years, advised wealthy individuals and multi-generational families in a broad array of areas, including estate, tax, insurance planning, and charitable giving strategies. He also has extensive investment experience covering a variety of traditional and alternative investment strategies. He's also a certified 21-64 advisor. I don't know what that means, but he'll explain it. In the multi-generational planning and philanthropy. In that capacity, he works with families to help develop, to define, I'm sorry, their values and achieve their philanthropic mission as part of their overall wealth planning. Well, welcome, Jonathan. How are you today you. On, this you, on, this, on this snowy day outside that we'll uh, be speaking about um, various uh, uh, considerations that uh, wealthy investors have to uh, deal with during this pandemic? Although in, in a pandemic, I'd rather be wealthy than be not wealthy. I think it's got to be a one leg up. Anyway, why don't you tell us a little about what you do? Uh, I know if I've just explained it briefly, but tell us a little about what you do and who you represent. Sure. Thanks for having me, Howard. Uh, great to be with you this morning. Uh, I've been, as you mentioned, in the advi wealth advisory business for over 25 years, and I gravitated to that business as a result of my passion and desire to help people, help people primarily uh, from a financial perspective. And early on in my career on Wall Street, it became very apparent to me that it was difficult for wealthy and ultra-wealthy individuals to get the type of advice that was of high quality, and um, unbiased in nature. And what I typically found um, that was being provided to them by the large um, wirehouse organizations, in my mind, was very much conflicted and geared towards the masses. And um, 
when I started my own firm going back to 1999, that was sort of the foundation of the business where I wanted to be on the same side of the table as the clients, uh, advising them as a principal to principal, entrepreneur to entrepreneur in a lot of cases, um, having uh, seen the movie before, guide them through um, the life cycle of both managing their money and then ultimately maybe transferring that money to either the next generation or to philanthropic causes. Okay, well, let's talk about the general um, situation in New York particularly because we deal mostly with New York. It seems that a lot of wealthy individuals, uh, the high-income people, are moving out of New York. Uh, New York has now been surpassed as Florida as the third largest state and the people that are leaving New York are the, uh, the, uh, the people with means. To, I'll refer to them as the one percenters. Does that something that uh, you see in your business, that your clients are migrating out of New York and moving to uh, other locales? And, and why do you think that is, if that's the case? We've seen that trend uh, developing uh, prior to COVID. Uh, as our uh, clients have aged and have decided to move to uh, warmer states that are uh, more tax friendly. And that has only been exacerbated uh, over the last year. We have offices in uh, New Jersey, in New York, and in Philadelphia. And all of those, um, unfortunately, are higher tax states, essentially getting higher. And we've seen an acceleration of that migration, uh, which is you know, very much concerning. Uh, and it has to do with you know the uh, fiscal issues of those states, um, and you know the politicalization uh, of of the situation. Uh, but hopefully, you know, we'll you know with the uh, change in the administration in Washington, we might see some um, corrections and uh, re reversals there. Well, if your your clients, I believe, I think think you've told me that. Generally, your clients uh, have investment portfolios of at least five million dollars. Is that correct? Is that the, the, the we 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 advise a range of clients um, as a result of our merger with Region Atlantic last year, and that ranges from one million one to two million dollars to over a couple of hundred million dollars. Um, I personally tend to focus on clients that have liquid net worths in the five to you know, fifty million dollar range in, in general. And in that range, in the range that you're talking about, uh, if they don't have a need to be in New York, do you advise them to, to move to a low, lower taxation uh, state because the taxes in New York are so long? And you define that because of what's going on and the, the lack of restaurants and theater and culture in New York, that more and more people are doing that specific thing? So we have a... Um typically a very intimate relationship with our clients where we get very much involved in certainly managing their, their assets, acting as what I would describe as their chief investment officer, and then helping them extensively on other financial-related issues involving estate planning, financial planning, philanthropic planning, and so forth. One area where I've sort of not gotten involved in sort of recommending um, is sort of change of um, situs or change of you know uh, residence we certainly respond to that in terms of giving their giving them their giving our advice and modeling that out uh, and it's certainly uh, advantageous on an after-tax basis 
but that's a very you know personal uh, decision. Uh, many clients you know, don't have the ability to um, relocate, uh, you know, uh, 100% of their time uh, to another state, or don't have, uh, or don't want to do that on a dual basis. Um, so we very much get involved in, you know, helping to make the decision and, and model it out, but not so much from a personal perspective of saying, look, you know, uh, you're paying the freight in New York, but you're not necessarily getting um, all the value out of it. Maybe you want to consider, you know moving for that reason. Those are personal decisions. Uh, when presented to us, we're happy to sort of uh, respond. And many, we've, as I said, we've seen an acceleration there where clients have sort of, you know, questioned, you know, what are they getting in exchange for um, the lack of public transport, you know, the deteriorating public transportation and restaurants being closed and the arts. Um, but New Yorkers are very much optimistic and, you know, many of them are hopeful that, you know, we're going to, um, get through this crisis. And I, I know that Region Atlantic has some beautiful offices on uh, Third Avenue in the, in the heart of Manhattan. Uh, I would think that during this time, those offices aren't being utilized as much. Does, does, uh, do you see in the future companies like Regent moving out of the, moving a lot of their, um, their personnel out of New York and, and taking much smaller spaces in New York? Because you don't really have to be in New York uh, or region doesn't have to be in New York to do what you do, I would think. Yeah, and I think uh, over the last uh, year, you know, we've kind of proven that. And I've been very proud of how our company has responded to working fully remote. Uh, our main office is in Morristown, New Jersey, and that's open and operating at about 25% headcount capacity. The New York office is open too, and we have handful of uh, folks coming in on a regular basis. Uh, but we're committed to New York. Um, and, you know, as a firm, we'll be uh, going back in later this year. Um, we're working now in terms of what that space looks like. We may need to have larger space, one, to accommodate growth and to accommodate, you know, social distancing. Um, but for, as respect to other firms, I definitely have seen other firms sort of um, saying, hey, we, we don't need to be... Uh, uh, in Manhattan, we don't need to deal with the commuting, and maybe we could be working uh, not necessarily out of our homes, uh, but in, um, in suburban Connecticut or suburban New Jersey, uh, and coming into New York only when we have meetings. And then on a larger scale, I'm sure we've all read about larger firms like a Goldman Sachs or so forth, thinking about relocating significant amount of executives, not only um, you know um, back office, but executives uh, to um, to Southern Florida. I, I agree that that's happening with a lot of uh, companies that don't have to be in New York, and particularly in the uh, financial services industry. So let's talk about the New York economy. Uh, the New, when I say New York, the New York City economy. Are you pessimistic or optimistic about uh, New York City and, and its, economic, its economy post-pandemic? What do you see happening? I'm a tough question. Uh, good question. Uh, I'm optimistic about it. I feel that we're going to be going through some a difficult period, uh, but eventually we'll um, get things uh, right uh, in terms of um, our serving uh, our, you know, the constituents of New York and um, fixing our, our budgetary problems. But it's uh, it's a steep it's a steep hill, and you know New York is just so unique given the multi 
dimensional economy and attractiveness from around the world that um, I still feel that um, it's, it's here to stay and I wouldn't be, um, I wouldn't be short New York. Well, that's, uh, that's good to hear. Um, you know, the, the numbers uh, have been somewhat depressing in New York and, you know, it's always been the capital of the world. New York's always been called the capital of the world, and uh, it seems that that uh, has been tarnished uh, during this time. And and the, the numbers of people leaving seem to um, indicate that it's going to be a long haul for the city. But let's talk about your firm a little bit more. How has your firm responded to COVID? As I mentioned, um, I've been extremely proud of how uh, our firm has responded. We were users of technology like Zoom prior to COVID, um, but not to the extent we are today. And we have over 65 people in the firm. Uh, we started to have um, weekly uh, team meetings by Zoom to stay connected. Uh, our systems and redundancy was um, unparalleled and uh, we didn't have any sort of break there. Uh, we maintained our connectivity with clients. We must have had over 27 webinars since March, um, keeping clients abreast of uh, movements in the market and um, planning opportunities. And we um, really focused on maintaining our um, culture um, in uh, connecting with other, uh, maintaining connections with other people in the firm, um, even with um, having uh, young kids and their pets, you know, on, on Zoom so we could um, um, create, you know, that type of uh, family type of environment and um, was very, I'm very pleased with how we sort of maintain that connectivity and more importantly, how we've been able to respond to our clients' needs since there were no sort of really uh, drops in our servicing capability. We've been able to really focus most of our efforts on the uh, clients' portfolios, which required a lot of effort given the volatility in the markets. And then towards the end of the year, focusing on um, planning opportunities in the face of a potential change in the administration uh, and, uh, and Congress. And, and do you see the, the you going back to um, more in-person meetings or is this, this uh, acceleration into virtual uh, communications with clients is that something that's here to stay? Is that something you think is ever going to change again? I think it's here to stay uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, I've had very few in-person meetings with clients or even prospective clients. We've been able to uh, have meetings uh, via Zoom or via phone calls. Uh, clients don't have a desire uh, to come into the city or into the office uh, you know, to have those meetings and they've been very adaptable themselves. Uh, we still have those meetings on, you know, on a case-by-case -case basis, but for the most part, we've been able to maintain those, you know, those, those connections uh, on a virtual way. Obviously, that, we don't want to do that entirely. We want to get back into the offices and have those, you know, um, have that contact with our colleagues and have that contact with our clients. But uh, it's going to be at least 50-50, if not by tilting the scales, you know, two-thirds virtual, one-third, you know, in person. And, and let's talk about the, there's a new administration, and uh, while nothing has changed tax-wise yet, I think it's, 
anticipated that there will be substantial tax changes uh, under this administration. Uh, have you taken any steps until those changes are made to change the, uh, the profile or the investment strategies for your clients? We've done. We've made a number of changes in um, the positioning of our portfolios. Most of which has been in response to the market. Some of which has been in response to potential changes uh, in you know tax law. So first, with respect to to the market, uh, there's been a very large run up in large cap stocks over the last, and now we're seeing you know smaller cap stocks and value oriented stocks. Um, start to um, follow. So we've repositioned portfolios to take advantage of that recovery. Uh, on the fixed income side, as we know, rates are very low and the Fed has you know, signaled that they intend to keep rates low uh, for the foreseeable future. And our concern is that rates you know, will eventually you know, creep up as we see inflation, given the amount of liquidity that's been pumped into the system and the and the potential growth in GDP. So we are shortening duration in our clients' portfolios. In other words, we're trying to limit the impact of interest rate risk. Um, so we've been doing that on our fixed income portfolios. And then um, towards the ta on the tax side, we have been adding real estate in portfolios because real estate tends to perform well coming out of a recession. And uh, as you know, in real estate, there are a lot of tax advantages because you can shelter a great deal of your income um, through depreciation. So where are you, if you're investing in, for example, multifamily housing and you're getting seven to 8% cash on cash yields, significant amount of that can be tax deferred uh, as a result of the shelter on depreciation. So getting six or seven or 8% uh, almost um, you know, on an after tax basis um, is extremely attractive in an environment where the 10 year bond is one and a quarter today. I would think you have to be pretty careful investing in, uh, in real estate these days because the retail environment has changed so much from, um, more so much from Amazon and other online retailers taking such a greater share of the business. And you know, what's the future of, of, uh, many shopping centers. Uh, and, and retail establishments and investing in real estate that, uh, that deals in those areas, I would think is a more risky um, uh, type of an investment. Do you, do you agree with that or do you? I would, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And that's why I would be a lot more targeted in terms of the geography that I'm investing in um, as well as the asset class. So I would probably want to avoid um, for the moment, you know, retail, um, leisure, um, real estate, such as that, as a in, in favor of industrial real estate, workforce housing, which is what I was alluding to earlier, where that tends to be um, uh, a lot, more, a lot less sensitive um, to uh, the uh, volatility in the economy. Now, I assume you you um, you advise different types of clients. You advise clients who are looking at retirement, you're advising family foundations, you're advising different types of clients. What type of investment for a, an investor who's looking for growth rather than um, uh, retirement income, what kind of investments would you suggest for a client looking for growth, safe growth? 
So on, on, for safe growth, we would have a portfolio that would predominantly be, you know, equity or equity-like, um, you know, securities. Uh, on the, you know, traditional equity side, uh, I would emphasize uh, large cap stocks, both U.S. and non-U.S. So those would be companies similar to the FANG stocks, which I'm sure you've uh, uh, heard of in terms of, you know, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, uh, you know, Netflix and Google or Alphabet, and uh, but and others. Apple. You left out Apple, but that's another one. Yeah, and Apple, <laughs> the big A. That's right. the, first, that's the, the top A. of the list, actually. Right. Um, and then um, others, you know, might include like Johnson & Johnson and Disney and NVIDIA. Uh, so, you know, companies like that, which I would describe as, you know, safer, larger cap growth stocks that are uh, very much resilient. Um, others that we think will benefit through recovery would be more smaller cap stocks, um, and stocks in emerging markets. Those companies have underperformed over the last year, um, and they tend to kind of, uh, well, well, small cap tends to lead out of a recession, and, and the emerging markets really have, uh, we feel, to be undervalued. So I would overweight those uh, as well in, in the portfolio. And then look at other things opportunistically. Do you uh, advise your clients to stay away? I mean, stay away from the uh, very volatile sections of the, the market, such as the SPACs and the direct listings and the, the uh, GameStop stop uh, uh, situations. Do you uh, dabble in that at all with clients or do your clients who have an interest in that? And do you, how do you advise them if they want to uh, get involved in that? We would tend to, generally we're not investing directly in those types of situations. If we are, um, we would do that through a manager that um, is doing deep research, uh, you know, in those type of companies. Uh, we don't have managers that are, that right now that are you know exclusively you know short short sellers. Um, we for uh, more sophisticated clients, there are strategies uh, that uh, are managers that have been playing in the SPAC market uh, and done so very successfully, but on a hedge basis. Um, so those are merger arbitrage strategies where, um, you know, you're, you could be long the stock, but you have protection, you know, if, if it goes down and the SPAC market offers protection, you know, on the, um, before you de-SPAC at the $10 price level. So those, those might be more niche areas for more sophisticated clients, but they wouldn't be part of a, um, traditional, you know, portfolio. How about options? Does your uh, firm use options in, in clients' accounts? Do you purchase options? We're generally not. Um, we, we look at, you know, um, options from a hedging perspective. Uh, but from historically, when we wanted to hedge portfolios, we've really just reduced our long exposure um, and have not, um, you know, not used options. So it sounds like... Uh, your main uh, goal is to uh, is client asset press uh, the uh, preservation of assets and that you want to make sure that uh, that there's not going to be a loss and you're you're very concerned about um, keeping those assets conservatively um, invested. Would that be fair to say? I think every you know every portfolio is customized to each client's goal and their risk tolerance. So some are more aggressive or less aggressive than others. Um, generally, com clients come to us with um, a fair amount of assets, and the goal is to not screw it up, quite frankly, and protect those assets for them and for future generations. Our, my 
um, feeling, uh, having done this for quite some time, is the primary value add comes in the form of asset allocation, um, deciding how much of your assets should be um, in risk assets or equities, how much should be in, in fixed income, how much should be in alternative investments. And then within that, we want to pick the right strategies. But the, the first jumping off point is the asset allocation, not being you know, 80% in equities when you want to be conservative, for example. Um, it sounds very obvious, but I think there's a lot of time that I think needs to be spent on that, especially when you have clients or portfolios that are relatively complex. There are a number of different entities. There's, you know, husband's account, wife's account, retirement accounts, there might be some trusts. Um, and one needs to look, you know, holistically across the whole um, portfolio. And do you uh, uh, have a significant uh, investment for your clients in uh, commodities such as gold, silver, platinum, those type of uh, metals? Is no. That- you do and, not. And why is that? Why do you stay away from uh, the metals? You know, commodities represent you know a significant amount of risk um, uh, in, in client portfolios, and if one is looking to hedge against inflation, there are other more liquid ways to do that um, by either buying you know long treasuries or buying tips um, versus buying you know the physical you know, commodity or, or, or ETFs. For example, gold this year has not, you know, has not done well at all. Right. Well, uh, Jonathan, I think we're we're coming towards the end. Is there anything else that you want to uh, tell our listeners, other than uh, uh, that, uh, if they have a uh, portfolio and they want uh, they want to invest it and be able to sleep at night, they should be giving you a call. But uh, is there anything specifically that you that I that we haven't covered that you want to talk about? I think uh, we. I didn't fully answer your question. I believe on the um, on the tax side and from a planning perspective. Uh, last year, we did a great deal of work with clients. Um, as you as you know, the current um, lifetime exemption is about eleven point seven million dollars for an individual, over twenty three million dollars for a couple. Um, so for clients that have in excess um, of those numbers in terms of their net worth, not just their portfolio, um, we spent a lot of time last year moving assets out of their estate um, without necessarily giving up full control um, through um, vehicles such as spousal lifetime access trusts or SLATs or grantor retained annuity trusts, which are GRATs. Um, so we don't know what's going to happen in Washington. We do think that that, that exemption amount is going to go down. Um, so when we look at our you know, client portfolios, as I said, our desire is to look at things holistically uh, to help them achieve their um, long-term goals and do that you know, on an objective basis. Well, I, I know that um, your firm has been uh, highly rated in Barron in the top 100 uh, RA firms. And um, I'm sure you're going to stay on top of uh, the tax changes that we expect are going to happen this year. And I think it's important for everyone to, uh, to have to adjust uh, their portfolios and, and their investing based on uh, tax changes that uh, may come. So I, I want to thank you, Jonathan. And um, uh, if anyone wants to contact Jonathan, uh, you can at jhochberg, J-H-O-C-H-B-E-R-G, at regentatlantic.com. Or you can uh, contact him uh, through uh, my office, which is uh, 
H Rubin, H R U B I N, at G O E T Z F I T Z dot com. And I'll put you in contact with Jonathan. Uh, he's done some uh, great work for a, a lot of the people in the forum and uh, other clients. And uh, you'd be well advised to uh, speak to him. Jonathan, thank you uh, for this today. I think it's been very uh, informative. And um, I will speak to you soon. Thank you very okay. much, Howard. Thanks. Have a great Take day. Care. You too. Bye bye.